Welcome to Technovation. I'm your host, Peter High. My guest today is Cisco Sanchez. Cisco is the Senior Vice President and Chief Information Officer of Qualcomm, a company that creates semiconductors, software, and services related to wireless technology that powers the connected intelligent edge with wireless connectivity and on-device artificial intelligence. Qualcomm earns in excess of $44 billion in annual revenue, and Cisco has been in that role for a bit more than a year and a half. Across that time, he's led a remarkable transformation to enable Qualcomm to become an intelligent company across hardware and software. I look forward to covering more about what that entails with him through this conversation. He also spent roughly 25 years prior to his current role as a tech exec at FedEx, ending his tenure there as Senior Vice President of FedEx Ground IT Systems. Cisco, welcome to Technovation. It's great to speak with you today. Thank you for having me, Peter. I really do appreciate it, and I look forward to the conversation. I do as well. And now for a word from our partner, Quantify, and the company's co-founder and president, Asif Hassan. Asif, what do you see as differentiating factors between those companies that successfully harness the power of AI and those that don't? Sure. So, Peter, in the last 10 years, uh, we've done over 2,500 AI projects across over 350 customers in nine industries. And we see a few common patterns in the ones who have got it right. So the first factor is culture. The most successful organizations foster a culture of curiosity and experimentation. Second is the presence of a champion, someone who's a true believer in the power of AI and is willing to let the team experiment, fail, learn, and evolve. Third, of course, the technology and talent enablement plays a big role. And the last, but definitely not the least, these businesses have thought about the human aspect of the work that they are going to do with AI. And when the confluence of these factors has happened, we have seen magic happen, and these customer relationships have grown bigger and faster than what we would have ever imagined. And now on to the interview. Well, I mentioned briefly an overview of Qualcomm. I wonder if you could take a quick moment to sort of a legendary technology organization uh, that's been around for a while and has been through a number of, of uh, transformations uh, across that time, one of which you're leading currently. Uh, bring us up to date on Qualcomm's business currently, if you would. Yeah, certainly. So, you know, Qualcomm has been uh, around for about 37 years. Um, and predominantly, it was a handset company. So, you know, you think of the evolution of uh, CDMA, 2G, 3G, 4G, and now the, the next evolution of 5G. It was a creator of a lot of that cool stack. But what's interesting about it is, is when it, it's, its discipline and, and heritage is really the capabilities on the phone are so important because it has to have a large battery life. It has to connect to everything. It has to have modem access. It has to have... Uh, the ability for Bluetooth, uh, Wi-Fi, you know, it can't burn your ear when it gets close to your, your, to your face. Um, it has to respond quickly. And so that, that heritage is very, very interesting. And the reason why it's so interesting is if you could take that same technology and then start to embed it as part of IoT, uh, cars, then you have something quite different because, and it's the same, same use case, like to take Tesla. Tesla's more of a computer on wheels than, than anything else in a car. And a lot of the technology that we're bringing forward into the, into the next era is really uh, taking the mobile and, and, and making it more ubiquitous to a lots of other technologies like car and like IoT. And that's what we're going after in this next uh, evolution of, of where Qualcomm is. And very, very exciting. 
Very exciting indeed, and certainly riding some remarkable trends and helping write some of those remarkable trends as well. Talk a bit about your role as Chief Information Officer, Cisco. No two CIO roles are exactly alike, as you know. What's within your purview? Yeah, so, I mean, this is a fabulous role that I'm in because it plays in all disciplines within Qualcomm. You could think of the traditional uh, IT CIO of back office support, help desk. I have that, Yes. Uh, being able to support the finance and accounting. I have that too. Yeah. Cyber defense. And so, yes, have that as well. Uh, But what's starting to get really interesting is, is I I play in the supply chain. So I build applications for the supply chain that we do to distribute all of our chips, the sales and marketing to allow for the next evolution of new capabilities, the ability to play in the the new BUs, uh, the auto, the uh, IOT BUs, uh, to starting to create more of a, not just the hardware, but also the software stack that people can start to leverage and take advantage of. We're playing in that too. To support all of the engineers, and we have roughly 40,000 engineers worldwide, being able to allow for new, new chips to be faster into market. Um, and all of that compute space, we play in that as well. And, and I think it's, if you, if you look at it in layers, it's you know, operational excellence, support the business, and then innovation and the innovation and, and capabilities that we're creating on top of all of the, you know, do, do great business is allowing us to tr- continue to transform and create that next, really the next transformation that's required for, for Qualcomm and, and all the businesses that we're going after. So very, very exciting. Yeah, what an interesting and broad purview, as you say. Well, as you've noted now a, a couple of times already, um, yours is an organization that is really reaching to the future. And you've mentioned in our past conversations, increasingly becoming an intelligent company as well uh, with applications of that, that, that general topic across hardware and software. Get a little bit further into the details, if you wouldn't mind, Cisco, as to the changes that you are bringing about uh, and how you see the future unfolding as a result of that. Yeah, and I love this question because I think the uh, it's it's how much can we imagine and want to correct? That's really the limitations. Um, and, and and as you know, imagination is all interpretation of people that want to come together and, and create some diversification of cool things, right? And so, at least for me, when I look at the the capabilities, traditionally we were a hardware company. So think of we we provide chips, we give them board, and and they they create. Uh, as we work up the stack from a hardware company to a software company, there's a lot more cool capabilities that allow for not only that we can start to build and, and bring forward into, into the world, but also for developers to start to take advantage of and, and giving them the, the proper SDKs so they can write software and create cool things, the next VRXR uh, game or capability or something that you want to put into your car or an IoT interaction with one of our APIs, that's when you're starting to create a lot more uh, diversification and a lot more cool capabilities. Uh, playing with our AI capabilities that we have available, giving them a proper AI studio so they can tap into it and, and start to create things. And, and we believe that uh, that's going to be the next wave of, 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 of great technology that comes. So it's not just the companies that are creating it. It's, a, it's allowing to uh, almost give the access for others to create it, both you know, companies as well as hobbyist developers or you know, strategic developers that want to come in there and play and, and create new capabilities. So I think that's where, that's, that's where we're heading. And that's what we're trying to give the, give the, the public. That's so interesting. And it puts you as, as a, a centerpiece in a broader ecosystem of innovation as well, Cisco. And I wonder if you could talk a bit about how you think about uh, 
those par- partnerships that are fostered across a, or, a diverse array of organizations that take advantage of what you've described. What an interesting sort of uh, yeah. keystone uh, role you have relative to a, a lot of other very interesting companies. Yeah, and Peter, what's, what's interesting, and I know you and I talked about this before, but I love the IT profession. It's like simply, just it's it's probably one of the harder ones, and, and not to discount the others, but it's probably one of the harder ones. But it also gives you the first in look at everything that's happening, because typically, if if someone wants technology or wants to create a capability or needs compute or something, they're coming into the IT group, typically. Um, and, and you get to see things that are happening. So like this request comes in and this request comes in and this one comes in. And the greatest part of the IT role is, is that you can identify what are those common capabilities across all of them. So you can get synergies, value, consistency. You, you have the, the ability to build enterprise applications versus one-offs and you get to see it all. And so I think the, the, the pivotal role that I'm playing with my business partners is one, be a great business partner, like right? truly, like understand what the business is doing as, as much as, or you, as much as you can, and almost as much as the BU lead, uh, the general manager lead in that business. And the reasons why that's so important is then you can help drive efficiencies, change, capabilities, common use cases, and then re-leverage them over and over again. And so be a, a great business partner. It's probably the first thing. The second thing is understand the, the business completely um, and then drive for what are those common capabilities based off of the things that you're seeing. And, and you, you know this, most businesses are pretty deep vertical and, and they're focusing on, on driving their P&L. And IT typically is, is more of a horizontal and we're seeing like activity that is happening. And as a good professional IT person is identifying the verticals and where they should be slanted and, and turned over to be more horizontal to allow for efficiencies, cost reduction, speed, uh, agility, um, and, and really to hopefully delight the, the BU lead as well as the customers that are leveraging that technology. That's really well articulated, taking the, the, the goodness of the verticals and finding opportunities for more that is yeah. shared across the organization from an innovation perspective, from an efficiency, presumably a de-risking yeah. in many cases as well by okay. by, by limiting uh, the sort of Baskin Robbins 31 flavors of technology yeah. that a lot of organizations find themselves uh, becoming. It, oh, sorry, the, the only thing I wanted to add, so we call it tipping from vertical. Yeah. And and most people, when you see it visually, you're like, oh yeah, yeah, you tip. Um, but it's, and it's, what are the right things? Because I, I still want personality on top. You know, they should have a, a view of making them unique. Every, every vertical should. But what are the right things to tip to horizontal to allow for new things to happen? And it's, it's uh, I, I think um, that's how you get scale and efficiencies, especially time of economic downturn. Efficiencies win, man. So. Yeah, really great. And, and obviously also then put you in a great position when uh, during uh, upturns that you're doing so yeah. with a, a much better foundation under you as well. Um, well, I, I wanted to also ask you about, uh, yeah, I know from our past conversation, Cisco, you've, you've uh, mentioned that the company has great ambitions to grow. It has already been a growing organization across its, its uh, tenure, but with great ambitions to, to grow a lot in the years ahead as well. And especially for an organization that's already at, a, at the scale that, that you are, I mentioned at least from a revenue perspective, excess of $44 billion in a, annual revenue and the scale and, and breadth of business that that would suggest. Talk a bit about the role you and your team play in creating that future and developing the, 
the uh, that foundation such that when the organization continues to grow well beyond where it is today, that the appropriate technology is there to support it along the way as well? Yeah, it's a, a great question. Um, and so if we take kind of leading into being a great business partner and knowing the business well enough, it's also identifying uh, frameworks. And uh, at least for me, the, the fr- frameworks matter in a lot of ways because of the economic conditions, but you have to have some good frameworks in place to allow for that next that next wave to happen. And so our, our focus has been on, of course, always the b- business capabilities, but it's the stuff underneath that, ma- that for me matters. And if you think of it like um, a skyscraper um, or um, a large building, typically it's the foundation underneath that allows for plumbing to reach to the penthouse for water to, to go, the electricity electricity to go. And so a lot of the frameworks and is that foundational layer. It's not maybe the sometimes the sexy stuff, but it's the most important thing to allow for water to rise, water to go down, electricity to go up. Um, and so the frameworks that we're putting in place is uh, architecture matters, like re- really. I mean, when you think about big architecture, when you design a house or a skyscraper, you put the blueprint together saying, this is how the framework's gonna go and here's how many floors and all that stuff. It's same with, with software development. Architecture is really because a matter of, do I plan out for three years out and I still architect for my first two week sprint, but still understanding the blueprint. And so architecture matters for us. Uh, the way you build software matters for us, so another part of our framework. And so we believe that um, the way that people write software, interact with the business, it requires a deeper relationship and, and collaboration. And to do that deeper relationship and collaboration, uh, we're completely going away from waterfall, implementing safe, uh, scaled agile framework to allow for us to, one, break up the work into smaller chunks, engage differently with our business partners where they're with us. Uh, it's transparency on how fast or slow we are, um, but show the burn up, burn down charts appropriately. Um, so that, that's a part of it. Data matters. So architecture, methodology, data matters. Um, the, the ways of, of silo data doesn't make sense anymore, particularly for access points or cataloging or the way you want to govern the data, or is it the system of record or is it a reference data element? So we don't want to confuse people. Ingestion patterns matter on how you do the data. So we're taking, all, taking that as a framework piece of, of how we do things. Support um, has to be consistent because software breaks. It is what it is. And so the support structure, how you monitor, alert it, put observability all over the, the application matters. Um, the way you develop matters. So CI CD pipelines matter and how it uh, validates for security uh, vulnerabilities matters. And, and so a lot of these key frameworks, I know that aren't sexy. They're not, but they're, they're fundamental to allow for speed and agility because once you start to get people trained up in this methodology and these, these capabilities that we're creating, you get speed because now we're all doing it. We're all very, very transparent and you get reusable components over and over again. If you, if you take like the data one, uh, once you create an ingestion framework or an access layer or catalog, it's just a repeat and a repeat. And I, I know how to just get the data, push it in, allow for the report to get generated and it moves so much faster and, and you get better discipline out of it, right? And so a, a lot of this is, defining these new frameworks for our business partner, uh, for us and our business partners and how we engage to allow for new capabilities to emerge uh, faster in a shorter period of time, better secure, understanding what we're gonna do for the next couple of years. I think it's super important. 
Yeah, and and certainly modernizes the practices uh, reflective of where business is going as opposed to where it has been as well. Uh, That's a lot of change you're putting in place, Cisco. And I wonder how have you thought about the kind of waves of change you introduced to the organization to ensure that they're digested appropriately? Uh, Everything you've mentioned makes a lot of sense. Have you been? uh, Is there a logic to the order of this change that that you've uh, that you put in place? Yeah, uh, and and you're right. I think one of the things that we can do to service is uh, one we don't deliver. And it makes you know bad sentiments for a lot of things. Um, we want the hearts and minds of our team members. Uh, so it's a it's not so much the change is hard. It's the the culture change that has to happen, right? Of I'm adopting a new methodology. I'm adopting a new CI/CD pipeline. I'm adopting, and and so a lot of it is more change management than anything. It's, it's really that's what it is. Um, and so we're very very thoughtful when we started the process. There was a lot of communication that was uh, built out. Uh, we created multiple segments of videos from a minute and a half, uh, the case for change to a, a sizzle video to a nine minute video to a 15 to a, a whole room dedicated to the rationale of change. And, and, and that was important just to people start people walking it through and understanding this is why we're doing this. Is it, This is how I link to this. My effort right, is, is giving benefit for this new initiative. And so there's a lot of, of bringing people along, but then it's also, we started super small. And so if you think about the organizations quite big, we, we focus in on a, a tiny part of it, little teeny part, and then building it out, almost like let it radiate out and, and giving almost kind of a little bit of a FOMO experience of uh, fear of missing out, of saying, here's what we're doing, here's what we're doing. And people are saying, well, can I, can I jump into, can I help? Can I do this? Uh, and it's been great because it's starting to radiate further and further. We're not done, you know, full, full clear. We're not done yet, but we're, but it, the motion is great. The, the relationship are great. And I think our teams are feeling like empowered and they're, they're more aware of the work that they're doing, how it contributes to the larger picture. And I, I think, at least for me, I care about culture of the organization. And I don't want to break the culture. I want us to be jazzed about the great stuff we do. We want to come in here and do something different. Um, and I think hearts and minds matter. So I think we're, we're, we're capturing it. It's a, it's a good moment, right? It's, it's one of those moments where you're like, this is, this is Christmas morning. It's, it's, it's happening, right? <laughs> I like that. And it brings to mind actually something you've mentioned to me in the past as well, which is that a, a high-functioning IT organization needs to embrace its role of providing guardrails to the rest of the organization mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, some companies can become victims of their own success if, in yeah. fact, they don't have, you know, great processes in place, great uh, ways of, of governing uh, that growth appropriately. T- talk a bit a bit further about the, the logic yeah. there, because I know that sometimes with the amount of change you're describing, there can be the naysayers who would say, wow, a lot of this feels like red tape or bureaucracy or new steps I need to go through, but you offer a, a different uh, perspective relative to the importance of that. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a great question. So it's funny because uh, most people, when they see guardrails or they hear the term guardrail, like, whoa, bureaucracy, more tape. I have another process, a steer code I had to go to and more meetings. The idea of guardrails, if, if you're uh, racing a car or just driving a leisure uh, down a road in, in, through a mountain, is to make sure that you can go fast. And that, that's what we're trying to, to enable, is allow our business partners to go as fast as possible without falling off the cliff, wrecking, causing any body damage to, each, to them or someone else. But guide, give them guidance of, here's how the road's going to turn and, and change. 
and the rationale for it. So they can go super fast. And that's the mission from an IT, as an IT professional, I don't, I don't want to be ever seen as a roadblock. Never. I, I want to see as and the guardrails make sense to me because we're up ahead of them trying to drive and steer the, the, the car to a direction where it needs to go up top of the mountain, maybe some twists and turns up there, but it allows them to get up there as fast as possible. Um, but with, you know, structure to, a, to a in, ensure that no one gets hurt in, in the process. And, and that's why you need to be a good business partner. That's why you need to understand the roadmap. And that's why you almost have to be a little ahead to start to put the, the, the guardrails in place before the car is on the road. Um, and I think that's the responsibility of the IT organization, of, of understanding that. Because, again, we get to see everything. We get to see that the interaction that's going to be played out and why something's going to happen. And at least in my case, why AI is so important for our organization and how to ensure that we enable that, that capability to, to emerge even faster than we thought. So um, I think guardrails is a good example of, of that process that we're trying to put in place. That's really interesting uh, and nuanced response there. I, I wanted to, you talked about the importance of culture and the team that you're leading. Um Given especially the amount of change that that's been enacted in the transformation that you're leading, I wonder how is the team itself changed in terms of, for example, uh, skills that are growing in importance, reflective of the new reality and the future that you've been envisioning. I have to imagine that there are some uh, some new skills that either you are training or hiring for uh, to reflect where IT is going. Is that is that fair? Yeah, completely fair. I, I think uh, our most important asset is our people. We all know that it's the truth. Um, and so along the way, uh, we're trying to make sure people are aware of the journey, what we're trying to accomplish, but also being uh, aware that there's going to be some changes in the technology that we're leveraging or the methodology. And, and a lot for me is how do you retool our team? Because one, they've been here around so long. They understand the business so well. They understand the processes, the people, the culture, the values, why we do certain things, the projects. And so if we're moving into safe, which we are, it's a different type of skill set, similar, but a little bit different. Uh, the way we interact is a little bit different. And so how do you retool appropriately to allow for our team members to start to, to take on that action? Or if not, is there something else? Because as you know, uh, from an IT side, we're always needing different type of resources in lots of areas. And um, if they can't be retooled or trained or not ready or want to do something else, of course, we have work. There's lots of stuff going on. Um, we're also making sure that we position in group near our business partners. So um, if our business is in India, we're there with them. If they're in Cork, we're there with them. Um, and the reason for that is it's not so much the work, it's the interaction that's required to allow for partnership, understanding. Um, but, but for me, culture is, is a fundamental uh, enabler for change and innovation. It, it, it's, re it's required. It's, it's, it's not like you, you might have to make uh, optional, you have to have it to allow for both good times and, and bad times to be streamlined to allow for better times. Right? I wanted to also ask you, there are a number of trends we've already covered in terms of um, artificial intelligence and its application across uh, uh, you know, co companies like Tesla. We've talked about data analytics more generally speaking. You've talked about modernizing practices, better use and more broad use of agile, for example, as well. The importance of IoT and all that you're doing. I wonder as you look to the future and you think about other trends uh, that excite you, what are some of the things that are on your personal or professional roadmap that, uh, that, that have you excited? Yeah, so uh, probably a few. There's uh, we can't get away from not talking about LLM and AI because 
you, you turn the corner, there's another something coming up. And so, and so for me, I think the trend of AI, uh, we all have to figure out how to embrace, like, because it's coming. The ones that take advantage of it sooner are going to be the ones that create new capabilities that, are, that change, allow for better interaction, something will something better is going to happen. Um, and so I want us to be an early adopter of how we take advantage of AI and or correct. The other part of, of AI where it's super tricky is, um, and if you, if you have used ChatGPT, which I have too, um, you also notice that more and more people are gravitating towards the type of those capabilities. Uh, but I think, and I think the trend we'll see is that there's a lot of capabilities that have to be on the edge before they go to the cloud. Uh, meaning that you can't just do everything in the cloud because I think one, it, it, it costs too much. Um, it takes too much power. Everybody is on, on their own ESG challenges. And so you push more into there, you, you're creating more data, uh, data floor space, uh, more heat. Um, and so I believe that there's a lot more that can be done on the edge. Think laptop, think uh, your phone. And by the way, we're in both of those. And so if you can do a lot on the edge um, where you need to and do most of it, because you can do probably most of it, and then when to push to the cloud because of the more complex use cases, I think that's when you start creating some some new new advantages. And um, I like it because we, we play in, in both sides, you know, on the compute space as well as on on the uh, in the cloud. And I think you're I think we all need both. I really do. I mean, because I think everybody's trying to train their own LLMs and there's so much data and you have to process it. I think the other trend though you're we're starting to see is how do you ensure you take some of the hallucinations out of the response? Um, and, and what I mean by that is uh, most of the AIs are, are, are trying to give you a response. And sometimes you don't want them to see that. Sometimes they're not valid um, and they may not be entitled to have them. So how do you take the hallucinations out and how do you ensure that the entitlement's right? So something, some documents that are internal should stay internal. Some documents that are external should be okay to be external. Um, and there's that gray area. And in that gray area, I also think that there's this um, human in the loop concept, which, you know, we always talk about hills and sills, uh, hardware in the, in the loop, software in the loop. Now I think it's a, a human in the loop where a response happens, interaction happens, human validates the response, and then uh, uh, pushes it out. And hopefully that can get faster and faster so you don't have to have so many human in the loop. But I think it's coming. And so I think that that whole trend is happening. And um, I love for us to be part of that because it's it's exciting. And, and I think it helps change work, it makes it easier. It, it changes the way people do stuff. And, and I think it gives smarter results, it's faster. And so I, I think we have to be there. The second big trend I, I, I see that um, is coming is um, now that we you have your phone and your car is more of a computer on wheels and you have IoT devices. I think the trend for capabilities for cars and for IoT are increasing where you want to be able to customize the car experience for you, not for, not for Tesla or GM or BMW, but for you, it's your car, right? And how you interact with the car should be your experience every time you get into a, a car platform. And so I think there's a trend towards that of, of of true personalization um, in the car space and in the IoT space, VR, XR, which I think is needing to be exposed a bit more. So, and we play in that trend too. And I think, so these are some, I think, big trends that are happening that uh, Qualcomm is, is, is taking advantage of, but I also think help the, the world in a, in a lot of different ways.
I, I like, I love your responses. And I think there's a thread through this conversation that certainly you, you uh, double click nicely on with regard to generative AI and large language uh, models, LLMs, uh, is, is the necessity to, you know, sort of be in the, the arena to, to, to test, to develop your own conclusions. I know at a time like yeah. this, there are a lot of organizations that are shying away, even putting governors on the progress associated with some of the trends that you've, you've highlighted. And I'm hearing you say that it's important to be experimenters, to validate the value, translate that back into your own environment so that you aren't left behind and competitors or others in the ecosystem aren't, uh, you know, getting so far away from you that it's a uh, too far a distance to, to, um, to make up. Um, is that, is that, is that a fair interpretation? Yeah, completely. I, I mean, I, we could all say some of the stuff is scary because it is super scary. Like how it can take some of your notes and, and capture content and pull a whole presentation together or write software code for you. Yeah. It's scary. No, there's no doubt. Yes. We do need uh, rules and des- yes, we do need to understand it. And yes, we need to understand what's open source and what should we have and what it expose ourselves off to what goes off. Walk. Yes. So I'm not discounting any of that scariness that goes on. Um, yes. But I think we have to figure out what are those things that we're scared about or concerned about um, and identify how do we mitigate them as best as possible to allow for the technology to come forward because it's so valuable. It could take notes for you. It can put the PowerPoint together. It can write software for you. It could be a co-pilot for you. It could create responses that you didn't know that you didn't know, right? And so I I think there's so much more benefit than the scary part that outweighs it. And so for us, we're doing a, a number of things. We're obviously engaging in a lot of either early releases of technology that hasn't come out yet. So we're taking advantage of them being an early release. We're creating a lot of our LLMs internally for either code generation, because we think it's important to understand how they work um, and then generate maybe some very top secret code that we create because it's important uh, to understand. Uh, we're creating the abilities for chat uh, GPT-like capabilities within internal uh, questions that uh, get asked um, and, and playing around with a lot of technology. We enable the hardware stack, so we're showing response times of how fast you can get a, a response back for a lot of the AI questions because we think speed matters. Uh, always, it always has, um, and so there's a, a a lot in the hardware space that we're doing, of course, and then we're going into the software because I think that's the differentiator. The hardware is fabulous; it tells some performance, speed, perform, um, battery, all that kind of stuff, but it's also the software that matters too. I also wanted to ask you, Cisco, um, as somebody who has risen to the you know CIO posts and even been a, a technology executive across multiple companies at still a relatively young age, what, what have been some of the secrets to your success? Um, what would you attribute yeah. as some of the you know key elements to your rise, um, and perhaps tuned to others who might wish to walk in your footsteps? Yeah, I I, um, I, I think for me it's it's always been um, a state of mind of curiosity. Um, and uh, I've had uh, tremendous mentors in my life. So it, it's a, a lot of uh, great mentors, people that have just been part of my, my world, my life that I, I valuable forever, forever. Um, it's being, having that curiosity mindset of, of why does that do that? And why does that turn on? And how come this happens? It's, it's like, you know, young, young kids, uh, three, four year old, they're like, why, but why, but why? It's a little bit like that, um, but under trying to understand it to make it either better or just truly understand it. So the curiosity mindset, um, a little bit of a fearless uh, approach. So 
um, I was courageous enough to move and uh, I lived in, uh, in Latin America for a while. I lived in, in Europe for a while, Memphis and Pittsburgh, and then now here in San Diego. And it, it was always uh, a little bit courageous of trying to raise my hand saying, I'll go, I'll, I'll go do that. And I, I remember flashbacks of, you're crazy if you're going to do that. You're, this job is great. And I'm like, no, no, I'll, I'll go. Um, and it created the next part because it was the, the urgency for me was um, learning. I wanted to learn more about the business and how come. And, and the only way that you can do that is by immersing yourself into that environment. And so it's, it's been, you know, curiosity, great mentors. It's been the, the courageous spirit to kind of try stuff out. Um, willingness to be humble and, and fail. You know, I mean, learn from it, hopefully. I've learned from a ton of mistakes and I still make them, uh, but tons of mistakes and trying to figure out how do I learn fast and, and not repeat the, the, the same thing over and over again. Um, and, you know, I, be open, right? I, I, um, one of my greatest mentors, he, he says, just show up man. just show up. And a lot of the time um, our uh, leadership doesn't show up or, or be there or there. And, and I'm trying to make sure I show up every day. And so uh, when I left the last place, I worked till, till Friday, the last day, five o'clock, took my box and yeah, it was amicable. Still great company. We're still friends. Um, and then I started here on Monday uh, and everybody said, you should take a week off. I, I can't. Part, part of my mission is to be here now and I'm here. Right. And so um, I, I think uh, probably some of that, a lot of luck. It is too. A lot of luck. Great, great thoughts across the board. Although I must say that as you're going through the list, of places you were uh, uh, taking a, going to San Diego doesn't seem like that crazy a, uh, a risk to take, but <laughs> <laughs> you got a point. <laughs> yeah. No, but Cisco, thank you so much for a great conversation. Remarkable sure. to hear uh, how much you've already done in just a year and a half time uh, with Qualcomm and remarkable also to contemplate what's ahead for, for your organization in light of all that you've described. Certainly we'll look forward to staying tuned for the innovations that will be driven by your team. Thank you so much for a great conversation. Yeah, P Peter, I appreciate it. I, I really, I, I look forward. We should do it in a year and have a, 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 you know, did we do all that? Are we still doing more? Uh, but I appreciate the, the, the interaction that we have, um, your friendship uh, and look forward to catching up with you in the future. Thank you so much for your kind words. <laughs>